Yesterday and today, June 20th, 1966. The Beatles come to America. Yeah, 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 yeah. Episode 10, Yesterday and Today. Welcome to the Beatles Come to America podcast. I am your host, Tom Galker, along with the Beatle guru, Brooke Halpin. Today, we are chatting about yesterday and today. Yesterday and today always felt like a greatest hits collection to me. Let's listen and see what the Beatle guru has to say about it. Before we get into the interview, we do have some housekeeping notes. I have a podcast. It's called Something Came From Baltimore which is a music interview podcast. It's more jazz, R&B, and blues. It's not really about Baltimore, but please subscribe, and the link is in the notes. The Beatle guru, Brooke Halpin, is all-knowing when it comes to the Beatles. He sweats that Beatle DNA. Follow him on his Facebook page. Come together with the Beatles and Brooke Halpin. The link is in the show notes also. And we have a Facebook page called The Beatles Come to America where we're asking to rank the albums from best to worst. It's a lot harder than you think. And as a bonus, at the end of every episode of Beatles Come to America, we have a Brooke Halpin original composition, so you'll want to stick around for that. We are a DIY low-tech podcast, so you may hear some pops and hisses. We hope you subscribe, participate, and enjoy. Just remember, we love the Beatles, so love us in the comments. Now it's time for the show. The Beatles Come to America, episode 10, Yesterday and Today. Which brings us to The Beatles Come to America with the Beatle guru, Brooke Halpin. Today we are talking about The Beatles yesterday and today. This album was released in June 15th, 1966. It tracks 27... Uh, 2733. Yeah, yeah, to be exact. It was number one for five weeks and it sold over a million copies. And yeah. just in a couple uh, months later, we're going to get Revolver. So this comes out right right before that there are some revolver songs on here there are rubber soul songs and a holdover from help along with just singles that will show up later figurations of these albums you have the album in front of you i do what is going on with this album well it started off as a mess capital again wanted to capitalize as much as they could knowing that they had a golden franchise going on and it was time they felt it was time for a new Beatles album because the last time an album was released was six months prior with Rubber Soul. Because as you know, we talked about in 64, how many albums were released? I think it was like six or something, some ridiculous amount. So in, in, so now it's been six months, like, oh, God, we've got to get an album out. So the Beatles were working with Robert Wicker again, the photographer, and it was Robert's idea to do the butcher cover. He brought all the props, the white smocks, the baby dolls, the slabs of raw meat and everything. And the Beatles loved it because it was different. And the album covers prior to this album cover, with the exception of Rubber Soul, which I think is a masterpiece album cover, which we talked about recently. They thought, Oh, God, this is a total lark. You know, they're laughing, they're having fun. You look at the cover, and they are. They're having a great time. You can see their faces. It's like, this is hysterical. They thought it was funny. The Beatles said, oh, it was our statement against the Vietnam War. Oh, come on, that's a bunch of rubbish. And what does this have to do with the Vietnam War? I mean, in, in the abstract, I suppose you could mix stretch and say, oh, well, you know, the Royal Mean is about people being killed in Vietnam, but come on. And if that was the case, why would they be smiling about it if it was about the Vietnam? That would be terribly rude. <laughs> it would be just despicable. So forget about that. They just enjoyed it. You know, it was something different, and they loved it, and they sent it to Capital... Capital sent out 60,000 copies of this cover, and it did seep out into the the populace in the U.S., and then they were getting feedback 
from radio stations and from the people who were selling the records, they thought it was very distasteful, so they called it back in. And then they had, in England, they had, Whitaker had taken some other photographs of the Beatles with a, with a, a trunk, a large trunk. So they said, so they sent off this photograph of the Beatles with the trunk, which of course is the, <clears throat> is the cover that was released. So the, re- the cover with the trunk was released five days later. They did it, they turned it around rather quickly. But in the interim, a lot of those 60,000 copies of the Butcher cover were out there. Kids were getting them somehow. I don't know. Maybe some stores got them. So anyhow, if you look at the faces of the Beatles on the trunk cover, they are absolutely miserable. They are the antithesis of being happy and having fun. It's just the opposite facial expressions from what they had when they were wearing the white jack butcher, butcher jackets with the meat and the baby dolls and all that stuff. They're not happy, especially John. I mean, he looks pretty pissed off when you, I'm looking at it right now. None of them are happy about this because they really wanted the butcher cover to go out because it was different, and that's what they wanted. They were adamant about it. Uh, but Capital refused. So they went ahead and did this. So straight away, you know, we're starting off with some problems. Now, back in 66, when my sister, bless her heart, she bought this for me when she went down to New York uh, in June of 66. You know, I didn't think, oh, what a terrible picture of the Beatles. <laughs> I just looked at it and, oh, there's the Beatles. Oh, wow. And then I put the record on and I fell in love with the music. So the the, the images and the covers back then were the Boeing populace, I believe. They were not nearly as critical as I am today. And I wasn't critical of it at all when it came out. It didn't matter. You know, the Beatles could have had bathing suits on or they could have been in a car or they could have been in a jet plane. It wouldn't have made any difference. The album would have sold anyway because it's about the contents. And the back cover is even more ridiculous. The back cover, all it is, is it's just a big advertisement for Capitol Records. You know, they got photo, small photographs of all the prior Beatle albums that were released on Capitol. There's no photos. They do list the songs on the back of the album, side one, this, side two, that. But it's just a big ad. It's a big ad for Capital. And there is one name on the back of the album. It says, Prepared for the U.S. by Bill Miller. Now, if you recall, Tom, in one of our previous conversations, we were talking about, I believe it was, uh, was it Beatlestick that was prepared by Dave Dexter Jr. Remember that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, Capital replaced Dave Dexter Jr. with Bill Miller. So Bill Miller was a record producer at Capitol Records. So he was involved with putting this album together. He was involved with the sequencing. And again, the back the back cover is just a big ad. It's just a big ad for Capitol. And John was really upset about what was going on with Capitol doing this stuff to the, you know, to Beatles 6, to, uh, to, of course, now with Yesterday and Today. Yesterday and Today pretty much was the end of it in terms of the repackaging, even though we know, and we'll get into Revolver next time around. But so anyhow, there were many problems just from the beginning. Internally, the problems were going on. Us kids, we knew nothing about this. It didn't matter, and we didn't know about it. So that's my bit about the cover and the back cover. So you lived through this. This is your time period. You already talked a little about your reaction to it and how it felt like during that time period. Do you feel that if you did see a Butcher album that you would have been horrified at the time or were you looked at it and laughed? No, as I said, the Beatles could have been, uh, they could have been, as I said, in a antique shop. They could have been in a, car garage, they could have been in grease and grime from 
from taking apart an engine to a car. It didn't matter what they were doing because it was the Beatles. And we just accept, we accepted whatever it was. We didn't question the covers. Absolutely not. The first song on the album is Drive My Car, which was a single. There's discussion as to where that song came from. There was talk about uh, Celia Black. She was married to Bobby Willis, and they were going to offer him a contract. And she said, yeah. no, he can't have one, <laughs> that he can drive my car. That That kind of stuck. There was other ideas of where that song came from. George Harrison was listening to Respect by Otis Redding. Paul did some crazy work on this. The bass, the guitar, the piano, the slide guitar, all on this. I'm going to be very pro on this album. There's very hardly anything I need to be that critical about. I love Drive My Car. I think it's awesome. Right down to the beep, beep, yeah, at the end. Um, it's a great pop rock song, and um, it stands out. People know it just by the guitar lick, and it's awesome. To date, this is the most soulful recording by the Beatles. It's 100% a soul song. And as you had mentioned, you know, they were listening to Motown big time at this point. You know, they were listening to all the records that were coming out of Detroit. And that's where that riff came from. And it's an outstanding song. It's written primarily by Paul. And John did participate in some of the lyric writing. Uh, the word drive my car is an old expression for having sex. That's that's true. So uh, the Beatles love doing that type of thing, you know, kind of like using words in code. It's code, you know, right? It's in code. This is mostly a McCartney recording, as you had mentioned. And yes, he's playing the bass. The bass part is doubled with what George Harrison is playing on the lead guitar. However, the opening guitar riff is McCartney. And McCartney plays the guitar solo as well. And he also plays the lead guitar when the song fades out. If you listen to the verse carefully, Tom, the verses, it's McCartney singing both parts. It's Paul. It's Paul doing the high bit, and it's Paul doing the low bit. I, I'm totally convinced of that. And then John comes in, you know, on the chorus along with George. It's uh, an outstanding song. It's one of my favorites. It's a great way, a fantastic way to start this album. Uh, the second track is I'm Only Sleeping. It's um, a John Lennon song. And there was notation that John is lazy and all he likes to do is lay in bed and smoke pot. Um, I find that hard to believe because of the outpouring of work that he's done, but he said he admitted it too. That's what he likes to do for his free time. And if that's the case, then this song had to come from that. And um, Harrison does, this is the first time that we get backward sounds for the guitar. It's the first vibraphone usage. Time Out in London named this the number 12 song of all time. When the guitar goes backwards, Harrison uh, was listening to it and trying to match the notes forward and was trying to play it at the same time. Now, I couldn't hear it, but also that yawn where... I thought it was yeah. backwards. That's Paul. Yeah. And I thought yeah. they, that was just a backwards noise, but that's Paul doing that. Another, yeah. another awesome, awesome bass. Like he kills this on this. There's a homage to this song by, uh, Crosby, Sills and Nash in 1969. They do, uh, pre road down. That's the yeah. tribute to this song. Uh, this song is like psychedelic pop. Talk about the start of their going out of the box to create music. This is kind of the first one that you're getting. Well, yeah, John was lazy. The tempo of this song is lazy. It's a lazy tempo. It's a dreamy song because he's only sleeping 
please don't wake me, no, don't shake me, leave me where I am, I'm only sleeping. George's backward lead guitar part is a mind blower. When you hear that for the first time, you're going like, oh my God, what are they doing? How can this be possible? And of course, the, appropriately enough, the sound that George created is very dreamy. And it ends with the backward, another backward lead guitar part as well, which is perfect ending for the song. There are bass solos in this song. Wow. So there's a, you know, bass solo breaks in a song. That's something quite different. I was able to take the backward guitar solo and reverse it and listen to it. And when you do that, it sounds like an Indian raga. sounds 100% Indian, very much so, and which would make sense because George was getting deeper and deeper into his Indian influences. Number three is Nowhere Man, which was a single. It's a John song. The vocals on this and the, the stacked, I don't know how many times they're stacked, tremendous, you know, and you could hear on Yellow Submarine, they kind of show you the some of the the vocals just without the music it's making all his nowhere plans for nobody another another hit for me what do you think it's a masterpiece and what's interesting is that john was frustrated he was for hours on end like for five hours supposedly he's trying to write a song and he couldn't come up with anything nothing he had to get something done because of the deadline for the record date and then finally I think he took a break or maybe he took a nap because he likes to sleep so much. And then boom, it was all there. The melody, the lyrics, that it all came to him. As you say, the three-part harmony is breathtakingly beautiful. It's just absolutely gorgeous. This is one of the brightest sounding guitar songs to date. George and John, they both were playing their new light blue Fender Stratocasters which are very bright guitars anyway. And it's John and it's George that are playing the lead guitar solo in unison, note for note. Which gives it a certain texture. It's almost like chorusing, because it's like it's a doubling. And then they end the guitar solo with a bing! A high harmonic, which is just perfect. The the lyrics, yeah, talking about, you know, you're sitting in your nowhere land, you're a nowhere man, making all your nowhere plans for nobody. A pretty sad, pretty sad story. However, then John goes to say, well, isn't he a bit like you and me? Which was, I thought, very provocative and a bit self uh, you know, a, a bit knocking yourself a bit, saying that, well, I guess we're all a bit like a know. We're all a bit of a nowhere man. But then the bridge gets positive. It's saying, you know what? Hey, please listen. You know, the world is at your command. Which is really quite wonderful. So, you have the contrast of the sort of nowhere man going nowhere in his nowhere land lyrics and the verses to this rather encouraging, you know, comparatively speaking to the verses on the bridge. Yeah. You don't know what you're missing. Nowhere man, the world is at your command. There's beautiful, beautiful lyrics on the bridge. This song is a masterpiece. I can listen to this song forever. The fourth song is Dr. Roberts, which is a John song. It's There's discussion about that this is Dr. Robert uh, Fryman, who, uh, or it's a gallery owner, Robert Fraser, who seemed to have a lot of pill time 
Uh, by then, they could be talking about Bob Dylan, who um, turned them on the pot in 1964. Yeah. And, or it could be John Riley, the dentist, that gave him LSD for the first time in 1965. Or it could be all of them. <laughs> I said one up the birds. I mean, like this is a, a, a bird comparison, but it's chunky. There's a kind of a roots rockabilly kind of like just chugging in the, in the background, which is pretty awesome. What's your thoughts about Dr. Robert? It's a great sounding song, and I believe 100% that it's about Dr. Robert Freeman. Because he was well known with all the celebrities and the wealthy individuals, a lot of wealthy individuals in New York City in the swinging 60s. And Dr. Robert would give them injections, vitamin B12 injections, that also had amphetamines in them, which would give them a quite a nice high. Well, 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 you're feeling fine. Well, 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 he'll make you. Well, 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 Dr. Robert on the bridge, which the bridge is incredible. The voices in the bridge, uh, I don't know how they came up with those. That vocal arrangement is just astounding. And then, of course, there's the harmonium only on the bridge, which, again, is it's a great arrangement. But you have, the, as you say, the guitars are really, you know, George's guitar. By the way, George plays two big guitar parts on the song. So that when that harmonium comes in on the bridge with the well, 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 you're feeling fine. It provides a new sound to the song, which only occurs during the bridge. That is very, very smart arranging, ladies and gentlemen. It's a great album track. I mean, come on. It's an incredible, incredible track. It, it represents the swing in 60s. It's, it's talking about yes. the yes. new freedoms. I mean, obviously, they didn't sing about this in the, the 50s. You know, this is uh, the freedoms that they're experiencing and... It's a little coded, but at the same time, it seems pretty commonplace. This is not something that uh, people down the street wouldn't be relating to. I wanted to add the lyrics that I was thinking about in Dr. Robert, and it's take a drink from his special cup. And that's a direct reference from what you were talking about, Tom. You were saying, well, it was about Dr. Freiman. Well, it was about the doctor that slipped the LSD into John and George's uh, cup. Well, there you go. So it's about Dr. Freiman, and it's also about all the things that, you know, well, certainly about the time that George and John first experienced LSD. So I just wanted to get that in there. Number five is the big one. It's yesterday with the, the single with the B side of Act Naturally. It's uh, 2,200 covers so far. It continues to, to blossom of covers. It's Considered Baroque Pop, best song of the 20th century from the BBC Radio 2. It's the number one pop song of all time from MTV and the Rolling Stone, 1994. Uh, it's number 13 on Rolling Stone's best songs of all time. It's number four for the Beatles, for the Rolling Stones. So obviously there's three more songs that are better. It was up for a Grammy in 1966, but it lost to Tony Bennett with the shadow of your smile. So they got robbed. Chuck Berry loved it, wished that he would have been able to sing it or, or wrote it. Uh, Bob Dylan didn't like it, but he turned around and did a cover of it. John Lennon used this as a diss to uh, Paul McCartney when they started fighting on the How Do You Sleep song. The only thing you did was yesterday. It's not the Beatles. This is not a Beatles record. It's just solo Paul, acoustic guitar, and a string quartet. And John, particularly, and George and Ringo, did not want it released as a single in the UK for that reason. Because it's not a Beatles record. This was the beginning of Paul getting a taste of doing things without the other three. And he liked it. And it was a smash hit. 
this was this was earth changing for Paul McCartney because he realized, wow, I can do some stuff on my own, you know. And his lyrics in this song are probably his most mature lyrics to date. It's about having troubles and the complexities of love. And because of that, he wants to hide from the troubles. He believes in the past. He wants to go back to yesterday, where there were no troubles, where it was simpler. And this song is about being abandoned. She left, she leaves him. And he longs for yesterday when they were together. The string quartet arrangement that George Martin did is absolutely perfect. It's a sound and it's a record that no one could have anticipated when it came out. And it, to this day, it's one of the most covered, as you mentioned, most covered songs in Beatles catalog. It's more than 3,000 covers. The sixth song is Act Naturally. It is a country and western song by Buck Owens. It's a Buck Owens song. It hit number one in 1963 on the country charts. It was recorded on uh, 6-17-1965. They were going to do If You Got Troubles, and they didn't like it, so they scrapped it. So this became like a, a quick you know, replacement. They knew the song pretty well. This is something they would have played live before. It hit number uh, 47. In the charts, and then uh, Buck Owens and Rick Starr did a duet in uh, 1989, and the song came back on the charts. It was number 27 on the country charts. And the movies, they're gonna make a big star of me. It's a perfect song for him. The lyrics uh, just fit the persona of what he experienced on a hard day's night and help. I think people can imagine it very easily. Act Naturally was written by Johnny Russell. And as you had mentioned, Buck Owens had a big hit with it. What I find very curious about this song is, this is the B-side to the Yesterday single. You could not get any more different. They are complete opposites. Yesterday is maudlin and nostalgic and sad. Act Naturally is upbeat and happy. A very unusual pairing. I don't know how they came up with this pairing, to be honest with you. I don't know whose idea it was. It doesn't make any sense to me. The lyrics, as you say, are rather autobiographical, because that's exactly what the Beatles did. They were put in the movies, and what did they, what did they have to do? All they had to do was be themselves. That's all they did. It wasn't like the Beatles were putting on different personas in A Hard Day's Night and in Help up to this point. They were just being John, Paul, George, and Ringo. They were acting naturally. So it was very appropriate that the Beatles would record the song, and they needed a song for Ringo, and Ringo sings it very well. It's very appropriate for Ringo, because Ringo likes this type of a song. It's Rockabilly, which George Harrison also loves. And as a result, of course, you know, George's guitar work is absolutely perfect. He's just picking it right along. He's just rockabilling it along like he should. Sounds great. And there's some clicking sticks going on in this song. In addition to Ringo's drum, if you listen carefully, there's a lot of clicking going on. They're gonna make a big start out of me. I real I believe it's he, Ringo did just took some sticks, you know, I don't know, maybe just drumsticks and, and did them on not a drum, but some other surface to give it a really bright addition to the rhythm of Act Naturally. All right, we're gonna flip this over and we go to And Your Bird Can Sing. So this is on the Revolver album, so it gives people a taste as as to what's to come. Uh, this is psychedelic pop. Uh, the first take was uh, had a, a birds influence. They they scratched it, and it's available, I think, on the anthology series. And your bird can sing, but you don't get me. You don't get me. Like maybe the song is maybe a little lightweight, but the guitar sound is what carries like indie pop for years like Matthew Sweet and Robin Hitchcock and Billy Bragg and and those artists that 
were only were popular, but they weren't really having top 40 hits. That crunchy guitar is fantastic. And, uh, if anything, it's kind of a blueprint for the future for, for, um, rock pop artists. Yes. When Dylan turned the Beatles on to marijuana at the end of their 64 tour, that's when it started. Paul said that he had reached the seventh level. That's what that was all about, a reference to, to Paul, quote-unquote, reaching the seventh level because he was so bloody high. This, The sound of this song, and your bird can sing, as you had mentioned, it's the brilliant sound of the dual lead guitars played in harmony by George and Paul. The music on the bridge is rather advanced musically because they're using different chord changes kind of like a descending chord going on as he goes through the bridge when your prized possessions start to weigh you down, right? Look in my direction, I'll be round, I'll be round. So, what the hell is he talking about? Yeah, there's all these different interpretations. Well, and your bird can sing. Bird, as we talked about before, is a word in the UK used for girl. And it's spelled both ways, B-Y-R-D, B-I-R-D. So people can interpret these, you know, these lyrics any way they want. John never said a, a, a hoot about what these lyrics meant. He never, he never, never said anything about it. And neither did Paul, for that matter. So, I think it's about you know if and your bird can sing is it's an abstract. I think it's an abstract lyric that John came up with, and that anyone can attach any interpretation that they want because that's what it's all about in terms of lyrics. And only John knows what he meant. And unfortunately, we'll we'll never know what he really meant with these lyrics. But it's a great-sounding song, even though he said, like you said, he didn't think much of it himself. You know, it's almost like a th- he said it was a throwaway. Wow. Well, thank you, John, for the throwaway. And that's what I think about Andy Burton saying. I love it. Love it very much. It's just a great-sounding song. This is the biggest mystery of all Beatles songs, because there is no record of any Beatle explaining as to what the song right. means. It's ranked number 41 on the Mojo rankings of the best Beatles songs of all time. There's covers by Jesus and Mary Chain, Spanky and Our Gang, The Jam, and I mentioned Matthew Sweet and Susanna Hoff. So that guitar sound has been ripped many, many, many times over on on uh, alternative artists through the years. So it's it's very cool. The next song is in my opinion should have been a single they didn't release it as a single and i'm not really sure why and uh the hollies released it and hit number 20 i was grown in the 70s so when i heard this song i guess i didn't have the yesterday and today album yet and i thought this was the birds it took me a while to say it's not the birds, and boy, is it Birdsian. It's fantastic. It's a great song. A great song written by George Harrison, and yes, influenced by the birds. As I mentioned earlier, is there was this friendship between the birds and the Beatles. They used to hang out together when the Beatles were in the U.S., and I don't know about the birds getting together with the Beatles in London, but it wouldn't surprise me uh, uh, if they did. The influence, as you mentioned, was uh, yeah, the Bells of Remini. And George was very upfront about it, and he actually sent the recording of If I Needed Someone to Mr. McGuinn of the Birds. George had a, a new 12-string electric guitar made by Rickenbacker, and this was the first time he used it on a recording. He had one previously, an earlier model that he used in 64, which was a big influence on Roger McGuinn and the Birds. That's one reason why Roger McGuinn used his Reckenbacker 12 string as the centerpiece for the bird sound. So you can see that there was a lot of cross-pollination going back between these two very big bands. And of course, the name of the Birds, 
B-Y-R-D-S, and we keep talking about how, and your bird can sing. So there's even references with using the word bird, even in song titles and in lyrics. It's very interesting that this is going on between these two bands. The thing that's really wonderful is that Paul plays an ostinato bass line, which means he plays the same bass line and he keeps repeating it. It doesn't move beyond the riff. And then while he's doing that, the chords change. They go down to the G, and then they go back up to an A. A new sound. Brilliant. A brilliant sound, the way McCartney works that bass line. George actually plays a, a double-track lead guitar solo, so you've got his lead guitar solo, plus you have his lead guitar part going on simultaneously. George wrote this song about Patty, Patty Boyd, who he married in January of 66, but yet he says, I'm too much in love, but oh, by the way, I'm too much in love, but you know what, go ahead and carve your number on my wall anyway, you know, just in case, <laughs> and maybe you'll get a call from me. So it's a little, it's a little tricky lyric there. I mean, he's too much in love, but oh, well, you know what, I'm too much in love, but Carve your number anyway, and hey, who knows? I might just give you a call. So if, if I needed someone, it's like, well, who is the someone? Well, someone could have been the fan, one of the many fans that were making themselves available to George. Interesting lyric for sure. The next song we have is We Can Work It Out. It's a combo between uh, John and Paul. It's a double A side with Day Tripper. The We Can Work It Out hit number one where Day Tripper hit number five. So it did not hit number. It wasn't a, a total number one. Uh, George created the three, four German waltz vibe into it. And it's weird because I was thinking about it. Starkey gets a credit on what goes on. And it seems like George is creating some really interesting things. And he doesn't get credits on these songs. This song took 11 hours to produce. And that's the longest time so far that they've ever spent in a studio on one song, which is kind of wild was uh, number one for three weeks and it is their 11th song that hit number one in two years stevie wonder made it a cover a we can work it out it became more of an anthem about civil rights instead of a relationship situation and there's a lot of r&b covers afterwards and i think they're more spinning off of the stevie wonder cover than they are actually of um, the beatles but it found a whole new audience and a whole new purpose. We can work it out. We can work it out. Life is very short. And there's no time. Between the two, this is a great double A side. Day Tripper and We Can Work It Out. It's crazy. I would actually have to say I like Day Tripper just by a nudge. However, they're both f- fantastic songs. And this is another awesome bass with Paul for We Can Work It Out. Again, Paul's having trouble with his relationship, right? We talked about the troubles that he was having with yesterday, the lyrics in yesterday. Now he's having troubles again with We Can Work It Out. But in We Can Work It Out, he's saying, yes, we're having problems, but we can work it out. So he's being positive, which Paul tends to be, in general, the positive lyricist. And then John chimes in with his lyrics, there's no time for fussing and fighting, my friend, which is brilliant, and that's the bridge. Uh, the, the instrumentation and the way the Beatles are playing on this is very interesting. What I find to be quite strange about this, number one, is that George is only playing the tambourine. Now, why in the hell is he not playing rhythm guitar is beyond me? Because John is on the harmonium. And yeah, he also plays acoustic guitar, but George could have played the acoustic guitar instead of John. I don't know why George is not playing acoustic guitar in the song. And as you said, it was his idea to come in with the triplets during the bridge. Life is very short. I'm singing, my friend. One, two, three. One, two, three. I have always thought that it's a crime, so I will ask you once again. Fussing and fighting, my friend I have always thought So, you know, George had a creative participation in this song with coming up with a triplet idea on the bridge, the 3-4 part. 
and yet he's only playing the tambourine. I don't understand that. I really don't. That, to me, is a mystery. It's a great-sounding song anyway, and it's the first double A-side single in the Beatles' repertoire, in their catalog, along with A-Trippers, you had mentioned. And it's a beautiful-sounding song. McCartney's voice is perfect, everything about it. And I can see why it was an A-side, but it's not the only A-side on the record. It's a double A-side. The fourth song is What Goes On. This is a, a Help album, like, holdover from the British Help. So it's new to us, but this is where Starkey gets his credit. It's uh, Lennon, McCartney, and Starkey. It hit number 61 on the chart. It's the B-side to Nowhere Man. This is a song that John wrote with the Quarrymen. Uh, so this is something they used to play in the clubs because it had one take on it. Uh, with some little overdubs. I, I actually feel that maybe they could have done more than one take. There's a, um, a kind of loose guitar that just kind of, kind of rambles in there. I wanted to hate this. I, when I did this, um, I said, I know I'm going to diss this. I'm going to tell you this is terrible and I don't like it. So, um, now I'm listening to these albums. What goes on? is the song that I wake up to. It's all through my head. I can't stop listening to it in my head. I can't. So where I was like, I hate this song. You know, this is like definitely a weak link of them. I disagree now. And I do believe that there may be an opportunity to maybe put a little more vision thing on it. But they knew this song so well because they sang it live that they just kind of knocked it off and there you go. I want to hate it, but I can't. What's your thought? Well, I always liked this song. It doesn't come close to, we can work it out. It doesn't come close to Day Tripper. It's not that good. But it's a good song for Ringo, and it's a good album track. It doesn't even approach the brilliance of Nowhere Man, and it doesn't even come close to Drive My Car. But it's a good song, and a B-side, great B-side. Absolutely a great B-side. Ringo's participation as a writer, according to Ringo, is that he came up with about five words. So, John and Paul were being very generous with Ringo, I'd say. John's guitar playing, he plays rhythm guitar, and boy, it is really brilliant. It's chunky, and it's choppy. Oh, God, just zero in on that rhythm guitar part that John's playing. What goes on? Oh my God! I thought it was a mistake. Like I'm like, what is he doing? It changes it's the so overall good. song. It's so good. It's so good. Oh my goodness! And it's one of the few songs that I've ever heard John play rhythm guitar that way. You know, usually with rhythm guitar, it's even strumming. You know, just up and down. But boy, he's chunking it. Oh, I love it. I love John's rhythm guitar part playing on this song. It's one of the things that makes the song most interesting to me. And then it's a rockabilly song, straight out for sure. And you've got George playing a brilliant uh, lead guitar, definitely in the style of Carl Perkins. Absolutely. And the lyrics, of course John would write these lyrics, even though he wrote them way back probably in 1958 or somewhere around there. Because he doesn't know what's going on, you know, in his girlfriend or in a, in a woman or in a girl's mind. You know, what's going on in your mind? What's going on in your heart? I don't know what the hell's going on with you. You know, it's a very Lennon lyric. <laughs> very Lennon lyric. And then he goes on to say, you know, when you treated me so unkind. So these are straight ahead John Lennon lyrics. And McCartney's harmony is beautiful. Brilliant. Come on. At this point, the Beatles, in terms of what they did with their harmonies, they were so well established because we already talked about, of course, what they did on the incredible, brilliant Rubber Soul. So when you get to something like this, you know, you've got harmony by John and Paul to Ringo's lead vocals, and they just sound great vocally. So it's a good song, and it fits on the album, and I'm glad it's there. I may not have mentioned it, but John had thought that this would be a single worthy. And right after Please Please Me, he felt that this yeah. would be the next yeah. follow-up song. They right. did a copy of it, and um, I would guess that's on the anthology also. But uh, it just didn't work for them, and they shelved it and uh, just brought it back. They just needed album filler, and here you go. And 
we are at the final song of this album and it's the flip side of we can work it out or the a side either or uh this is a john song it's called day tripper hit number five but it did hit number one across the world england it is the 54th biggest selling single of all time um you gotta love the riff brilliant song a brilliant single a john song and the first five notes of the song are the same five notes they're the same as the first five notes of my girl by the temptations and then it's different now that's pretty pretty damn i mean you can't get any closer than that we were talking about how at this time the beatles were very much focused on and listening to a lot of the stuff that was coming out of Detroit. There's a true testament to that sentence. It's the same five notes. So the sound, though, is incredible. You've got George and John both playing lead guitar, playing the riff, okay, playing that same riff. And then Paul enters playing the same riff on the bass. This song is very electric guitar rich. It's, it's the guitars that make the song sound so wonderful. And the lead guitar part, there's a lot of guitars going on during the solo. You've got George doing an ascending note by note, going up the scale using his volume pedal. Then you have the, him playing the riff. Then you have John playing a guitar solo. Again, guitars are all over the place on this, and I think that's one reason why it sounds so damn good. I, I love the song, and it could have been number one. As you said, it was number one in many countries. I don't know why it was not number one in the U.S., probably because we can work it out was number one, and they didn't want to, I don't know, the radio stations maybe didn't play it as, as much. I'm not sure. But it's a brilliant song written by Mr. John Lennon, and it still sounds good today as it did when it was released on Yesterday and Today. A long time ago. Because it's a, uh, as a kid, you know, I like the hits. So I remember gravitating to this album and I felt like I had a greatest hits collection. And I even talked to you earlier this week. I went, it's a greatest hits collection. And, 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 uh, for that reason, I ranked this very high, uh, as a collection, not knowing that there was a better organization in, in the British, um, versions. Um, I was pretty happy with the uh, hits, so I'm actually going to rate this very high. You know I love to rank these. As a whole, what did you think of this album? Not much. I loved it when it came out. I loved it when it came out, of course. I loved all the Beatle albums when they came out. Absolutely. I loved that, every single one of them. And they were all number one at that time. I couldn't even tell you back in the 60s when the Beatles were together what my favorite Beatle album was. It would have been impossible to do that. But now, looking back at them, as an album, again, putting this in context, coming from Rubber Soul? Are you kidding me? This is a joke compared to Rubber Soul. I'm shocked, but I do understand what you're saying. Uh, I mean, we didn't know, like, I love Revolver, and the American version is, is fantastic. I had no idea that there was three songs that were supposed to be attached to that album to make it whole. Give me your, your list in order. Okay. I'll do my best. <laughs> Rubber Soul. Meet the Beatles. The Beatles Second. A Hard Day's Night. Help. Beatles 65. Beatles 6. Yesterday, Today, Something New. Wow, that's a total flip. I'm calling it the second best album. You're calling it the second worst album. That's the first time. Did I, I, did I get all the albums? Did I get all the albums? Yeah, 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 yeah. I did. did. Did I get introducing the Beatles in there? Yeah, yeah. It's a lot lower yeah. than I thought. I thought you were up a little okay. higher. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I totally understand. I'm, we're glad that this album doesn't exist anymore. It doesn't need to be. But I thought at the time, I was like, wow, that, what a what a collection of really cool songs. And I was happy to have them. So um, I burned this out. I remember on cassette. So it was a big deal. Alrighty, so we're finished this yesterday and today. It's the Beatles Come to America, and I got the Beatle Guru with me, Brooke Halpin. We are going to be talking about Revolver, and that is going to be a conversation that you don't want to miss.
Oh, boy. Oh, yes. That's going to be a mind blower, ladies and gentlemen. Yes, I think so. All righty. Great. Thank you very much. Thank you, Tom. All righty. Bye-bye. Next episode, The Beatles, Revolver. Now enjoy an original Brooke Halpin composition, Let Me Be. Late one night I couldn't sleep The voices in my head Wouldn't stop and kept me wide awake One said yes, one said no So confused it hurt like hell to think Turning on a late night show To burn away my thoughts Hoping for some comedy relief The jokes were bad, the laughs were few The voices dripped back in between the sheets why are you here? What do you want? Tell me then get out of my head If it's money you want I'll give you all I've got To spend To spend You can have my house You can have my car You can have the passwords and the keys Take all my possessions episode.